Support for Talk of the Towns comes from the Maine Community Foundation, partnering with donors and nonprofits statewide to strengthen Maine communities through grants and scholarships on the web at maincf.org. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine. And like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be a benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. As our policies and health systems have evolved, and despite our best intentions to provide care for those with developmental disabilities in the least restrictive environment, some people fall through the cracks. People with mild disabilities seem to get by, and those with severe needs get structured care, but many in the middle and their families are left in limbo. And for these, it's been said that graduation from high school may be the saddest day, when forms of support provided to children evaporate for the adults they are becoming. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour as we talk about when graduation is the saddest day, a family and community response to developmental disabilities. I'm pleased to have some guests in the studio with me who can help us with that topic. Glad to have Dee Karnatsky and Lee Haynes, who are parents of a, a child, who, um, young man who has developmental disabilities, along with Patty Ryan, who is assisting them in their hopes to establish a group home uh, on Mount Desert Island, and glad to have Meg Dexter. Meg is with the Charlotte White Center in Dover Farcraft. Welcome to you all. Thanks. Thank you. Um, perhaps we could just um, start and, and uh, ask each of you to talk a little bit, um, very briefly, about your connection. I'll start with Lee. Lee, you're a physician and, and, uh, um, in, in Bar Harbor. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I've practiced internal medicine in Bar Harbor for 35 years now. I'm the father, <coughs> excuse me, I'm the father of a 18-year-old uh, son who has developmental disabilities. I may be no, or D and I may be known to the uh, WERU community as the folks who ran the Austin Acadia Connection music series for about 15 years on the island. Great, D. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, tell us a little bit about Austin to Acadia. How did you get involved in that? Um, well, we traveled to Austin to hear music and. One time we were in Portland hearing one of the artists we really liked, and we realized that it w might be easy to have them come up to Bar Harbor where we could pull together a crowd. We right. wanted people to hear the music we liked. Great, <laughs> great. And Patty, a little bit about yourself. Oh, I've um, lived on the island, on Mount Desert Island, for um, over 40 years now, and I, and I think I've known Dee and Lee for just about all that time. And um, my connection with them in, in this respect is just, um, to, to try to help find a local solution for something that's um, I didn't see before. Right. I wouldn't have seen if I hadn't known them. Right. So. And Meg, tell us a little bit about yourself and your connection to the Charlotte White Center. Sure. I am the division leader for the Charlotte White Center, and we provide quality community health and social services to adults and children with 
um, developmental disabilities, behavioral health challenges, substance abuse issues, um, and we're based in Dover Foxcroft, and we were approached actually from one of our board members who knew uh, Dee and Lee, and we became involved at that level and started talking, and, and now we've been kind of part of the group and planning for this local solution. Mm. And how long has the Charlotte White Center been around and, and doing this kind of work? The Charlotte White Center was established in 1979 by Charlotte White, who was a state legislator, and it started with one very small day program, about four employees, and we now have over 25 distinct programs, 500 employees, and three separate offices. Mm. So it's it's truly grown um, over the years, but 32 years. Mm, that's great. So um, for all of you, kind of long-time connections um, to place and um, more recently to an issue which is a, a family concern and a community concern. Uh, uh, Dee or Lee, could, uh, could you start and tell us a little bit about um, when you first um, knew Norman and, and how you came to be connected with Norman? Well, <laughs> we saw an ad in the paper asking for foster parents. Mm. And so we thought, I wasn't working. We thought it was summer. <laughs> and I thought an excuse to go to the lake. Mm. And so we decided that being foster parents. Mm. Um, and you had already parented your own children. All our children were grown up. Right, right. And so it was an empty house. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, this little boy, Norman, four and a half was four and a half came into our life mm. he walked in and the first thing he said was i'm here <laughs> <laughs> and so um we pretty much fell in love instantly mm -hmm. and we really had no plans to go farther than being foster parents but his mother died mm. and we adopted him right right and how long ago was that that was 14 years ago mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so now he's almost 19 right Right. And um, Lee, what would you add to that that story? Well, I, <clears throat> I think it covers it pretty well. Uh, Norman has been a delight. Uh, when he first came to live with us, uh, the way we thought of him best was to take his chronologic age, subtract four, and that was the level he was working on. Um, he did well, and uh, the school system uh, could be... Ne we could never say enough good, uh, say anything good enough about the school system, who provided tremendous help for Norman, helping him along, had a one-on-one -on -one aid uh, from the beginning, and um, became involved in athletics. Uh, has done reasonably well in school, uh, but then and uh, kept up pretty well to grade level until he got to high school, and then things started to go less well. Mm. Mm. And, and so, so when, as he was growing up, um, you had all the normal hopes and fears for a young, young fellow. I think we were really, I mean, we worried when we adopted him about having a teenager and we were in our 60s. Right. But um, we didn't really worry then that he'd never be able to be independent, mm -hmm. completely independent. And now, uh, since we got him evaluated about three years ago, mm -hmm. we've, we <coughs> realized that he would never be able to be completely independent. And when he was young, we could invite friends over to the house and he could have reasonable time playing with them and had friends that came and went. But as he got older um, and the grade people in his grade got more mature, the friends kind of dropped away and until um, it seems that 
even though he has a social life in school because he says hello and mm -hmm. hangs around with people and everybody has been so nice and the kids have been mm -hmm. wonderful with him, there really hasn't been a s social life at home. Or His peers kind of, as you say, they got more mature. Yeah. Norman didn't. Yeah. Didn't. And he, his friendships are different than mm -hmm. ours or theirs would be. Sure. And sure. so he's he doesn't really have people to be with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and what was the process that led you to say we're going to get kind of a more detailed evaluation? Lee? What? <coughs> Excuse me. The um, things weren't going as well as they ought to. Mm -hmm. um, Norman had about three diagnoses that had been made about attention deficit disorder and perhaps some obsessive compulsive problems and something called an oppositional defiance disorder. Um, when, but things weren't going well, and uh, he was reassessed, and the diagnoses were changed to de pervasive developmental disabilities. No, I'm sorry. Uh, pervasive developmental disabilities, uh, not otherwise specified, and that's a diagnosis that's in the category of uh, the spectrum of autism. And that made everything much more understandable at that point to think about Norman. And then we had had the fantasies of, or our thoughts about Norman would be that he would be able to uh, find a trade, that he would hopefully uh, then become independently living, be able to establish a relationship uh, and have a good life. But the new diagnosis made us aware that that really wasn't gonna be in the cards and that we would have to find someplace, another help Norman plan for another future, and that we'd have to plan really for a lifelong future for him. Mm -hmm. Help us understand what um, that, that diagnosis means, and Meg, you can kind of pitch in if, if you can. You talked about it somewhere on the spectrum of autism. Mm -hmm. What do we know as, as lay people um, mm -hmm. a, about autism and that spectrum? Mm -hmm. Well, people on this spectrum have a varying degree of disabilities mm -hmm. and um, what they've explained here about the social interaction that is not something that people with autism are comfortable with or people who are on their spectrum are comfortable with um, they have a hard time establishing relationships with other people um, they're oftentimes very um, set in their ways uh, they don't transition well from issue to issue or place to place um, and they sometimes need a little bit more time and a little bit more patience in waiting for that process. And we support many people with autism or on the spectrum in our services. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the training we do with staff is to really meet them where they're at, um, develop a system that works for them, oftentimes a visual calendar, something that they can see in front of them that they can use and be in control of so that they can kind of control their own destiny and make those choices mm. um, and live as independently as possible. So. And that's one of the policy issues that we struggle with mm -hmm. as, a, as a country, as a community, is um, the Supreme Court ruling that says we're going to help folks live sure. as independently as possible. Sure. Uh, what's, what's that dilemma sure. like as we've kind of in, encountered it as a society? It, it's a it's, it's definitely a struggle. We um, are, are reliant on state funding, uh, federal funding um, that is not available. It's drying up. It's getting cut. And so we as an agency and as a statewide association that we were part of are trying to look at alternate ways to support people. 
Um, we typically will provide 24-7 staffing in a, in a typical two-person home that we would develop, um, and that costs money. You mm-hmm. have wages, you have benefits, and you have all the um, expenses of running a, a regular house on top of that. So we are trying to think, seek alternate ways to try to create the same kind of environment for people that's safe, that provides a healthy environment, but that also allows them to be as independent as possible. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it can be a real struggle to, to figure that piece out, and we're leaning more into technology um, and just different funding ways to fund the services that we provide. So, so um, all of us can remember when this wasn't the law of the land. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. All of us are old enough to re- remember that um, most of the time, folks with these kinds of needs lived in a very restrictive environment. Absolutely. So what's been that transition? Can you help us kind of see that when, transition? Sure. And um, I worked for the Department of Health and Human Services in 95, and the um, only institution in Maine was Pineland at that time. And I came in at the tail end of Pineland being open and a state embracing um, community services for people. Um, so they were in the process of moving everybody out and closing uh, that institution. Um, with the mindset of being very person-centered and looking at each person as an individual, not as a group, um, so that you don't have a cookie-cutter approach to providing services to people. And that, um, out of that came a person-centered planning process where each individual had their own team um, made up of a variety of people, and really, and including that person, which oftentimes in the past, it, the person was not included in, in what their destiny was. Um, and so that was a real shift uh, back then. There was a lawsuit against the state um, that protected a class of people that were in, in the Pineland Institution. Um, that has recently been dissolved, um, and, but we have a much better system where we really focus on each individual mm-hmm. and, and try to provide, even if they're living in a congregate living arrangement, everybody has their own goals, their own separate dreams, desires, and, and ways that we support them. So. You're listening to Talk of the Towns this morning. We're talking about when graduation is the saddest day, a family and community response to developmental disabilities. In the studio with us, you've just heard from Meg Dexter. Meg is with the Charlotte White Center in Dover Foxcroft. Also in the studio is Dee Karnofsky and Lee Haynes. They're the parents of Norman, who is a child or a young man with developmental disabilities, and Patty Ryan, who is helping them um, think about and, and establish a group home on Mount Desert Island for folks with dis- developmental disabilities. Um, I, l- I think this individualized plan, that was something that Norman probably had in school, starting yeah. in grade school and continuing to high school. Yeah. Who was involved, D, around that plan? Who, you were involved probably as parents. Um, we were as teachers, uh-huh. um, mostly the special ed teacher mm-hmm. and um, his speech therapist. Right. <laughs> and physical therapist and so these were te- this was a team of people mm-hmm. all focused on figuring out what's the best plan for Norman mm-hmm. to, to move him um, through the school situation mm-hmm. anything to add Lee the uh, yeah the problem is that the services were super mm-hmm. there were many 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 people helping but when someone reaches the age of 18 or graduates from high school then they are termed an adult and the uh, number of services seems to be drastically reduced. And <clears throat> the uh, cost and the uh, reimbursements also, or the, fi- the funds available 
uh, to help people after age, uh, after they graduate from high school, are very severely restricted. Mm. So that's the, this notion of graduation being the saddest day, kind of a national phenomenon recognized to say those services and the funds um, begin to dry up. Yeah, and the problem is that they, uh, I've seen statistics that say that over the next decade, about 500,000 people are going to grow out of uh, the support mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, get to be 18 and or out of high school. And so that uh, there needs to be something done for these 500,000 people over the course of a decade. Mm -hmm. And uh, it hasn't been figured out yet. Right, that's, right. And that's what we're trying to help figure out. Sure. Or what sure. we're doing is aimed at trying to help figure out. That's <laughs> right. I, I think in, in grade school and even in high school, when we were planning his entertainment, it, it was simple. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. when school's in session, even now, he does a sport and he goes to spaghetti dinners and there are things for him to do. But when there's no school, there's nothing for him to do. Mm -hmm. So that implies a kind of structure that's, that school provides mm -hmm. that doesn't exist for these young mm -hmm. people after yeah. graduation. And a, and a social life. And right, even right. before, um, he went to a camp and it was great, but then he aged out. Mm -hmm. um, and most of the children that were teenagers became counselors in training, but he wasn't able to do that, and so he wasn't able to go to camp anymore. And we couldn't find an appropriate place for him to mm -hmm. go mm -hmm. during the summer. Mm -hmm. And he hasn't been able to find a job this summer. Uh, last summer he had a job. And was he supported in that job, uh, a counselor helping him with it, or is that something he could do on his own? He had a, um, a job coach. Right for um, a week, I think, mm -hmm. and then they said he was doing well. Great. Stop. But yeah. I think the economy is such now that the support he was getting doing his job isn't possible right mm -hmm. now, mm -hmm. so he hasn't been able to. Well, I'm going to come back to, to Meg Dexter of the Charlotte White Center. Um, Meg, what, what's the array or the range of, of support services for young people who graduate from high school? What, what, you know, we probably have a spectrum there mm -hmm. um, as well as spectrums of autism, a spectrum of kinds of care. Sure. Um, there are a variety of, of support services available. Um, the issue definitely is the funding. Um, the services are there. There are plenty of agencies out there that provide anywhere from a few hours a week of support um, to simply having a case manager um, to maybe job coaching services, maybe attendance at a day, uh, adult day program, um, right up to 24-7 um, type of a living arrangement. Um, so, I mean, it's, it varies and it depends on the people. Um, this project is unique because we're looking at um, kind of a different staffing and having kind of a house mom type situation possibly with, you know, several people living under one roof. Most of the houses um, that, have, that we have right now are, are two-person with a one-staff or a two-staff type situation. Um, but there's so many variety of services, and there's different ways that we can mix and match them to meet the needs of the individuals, provided that the funding is available. Mm. And uh, Lee and Dee, uh, how did you kind of look at the array of services? And, and you must have said, well, this doesn't mm -hmm. work for Norman because of this, and this doesn't work. So how did you look at the array of services and, and, and come to some judgment that a group home might be the solution? Lee? What? <coughs> Excuse me. I think that um, we started to look at group homes early on uh, because we really couldn't figure that Norman would be, well, obviously Norman couldn't live with us long term. 
because we're not going to be here. Mm -hmm. And so we had to figure out something that would help with Norman for the rest of his life, and we needed a stable environment. And so we thought about group homes almost from the first. Uh, the difficulty was that with all the group homes that we looked at, and we looked at, uh, I think, quite a few, uh, most of the, or uh, just about all of them were designed for people who did need more services than Norman would need. And that there wasn't, uh, Norman is a pretty high-functioning guy uh, with, you know, with some obvious uh, provisos in there. Mm -hmm. uh, and we didn't find <coughs> a group home that uh, really dealt with folks like Norman. There, um, and as we looked into this further, uh, we found a um, group home in the uh, Boston area that had been in existence for about uh, about 40 years, specialized housing, and they offered a different way at things. And they had also worked with people who had established a group home in the uh, Portland area, and we looked at those. And we thought that matched up pretty well to what we had been thinking about. Uh, but the, dif the big difficulty was, of course, the, uh, the lack of funds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anything to add to that, Dee? Well, even when we were looking, talking about group homes that were state-funded, um, we found out that the waiting lists were long. Um, I think 800 people on waiting lists. For the, for the housing portion, there's 488, because I just okay. looked yesterday. <laughs> and my understanding was that the people with more need went to the top of the list. Mm -hmm. right. And so we saw that that definitely wasn't going to be a solution for Norman. <clears throat> and... Um, and home life was hard because Norman really wants to be independent mm, and has the same feelings of any teenager has living with parents. <laughs> right. Except maybe a little worse because he doesn't have that, those friends to right. fall back on right. um, the way others do. Sure. And so um, we realized the state wasn't going to have the funding available to help us. And as you say, folks with higher levels of need would get picked first um, mm -hmm. to participate in those because they yeah. had higher levels of need, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And we saw how much Norman loves our community and how much it means to him. And um, the allies worker that works with him, which is an agency that was helping him find a job, said, you didn't tell me he was the mayor of Bar Harbor? <laughs> <laughs> because everybody in Bar Harbor knows him. Sure. And, um, and he, he loves this community. He doesn't, I think it would be very difficult for him to move and, mm. and It'd be very difficult for us and too. And difficult for <laughs> us too. Right. And so you I hear you aspiring to the same things that Patty and I aspire mm -hmm. to. We'd exactly. love our kids living close to home if they choose to and that's, and right. That's true. And Ron, I was listening to you in the beginning introduce the program and you talked about WERU and its mission, alternative solutions was a phrase I wrote down and everyone benefits. Um, and I think with this alternative solution that we're um, looking toward, which we um, call local solutions, um, we really feel strongly that Norman and his his peers will benefit, but also the community will benefit because we're not hiding these kids. They are a part of our spectrum, which ranges from normal to to not. And if we hide that away, I think we we lose something of our humanity. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's it's been really. Um, important to me to be a part of this. Mm. Maybe we could just take this uh, a minute and talk about why is mental health and it's all of the r r r issues, why is that so scary to 
to us as a, as a society and a population. So, you know, you've, you've encountered it. You've kind of named it. Um, you don't want to hide it. But, you know, any, any thoughts about why we are so afraid as a society about mental health issues and kind of embracing, saying, that spectrum? What are your thoughts, Lee? Well, I think it's because it's a big problem and we don't have good solutions to any of it right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, pure and simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, support services are down. Funding is down. Um, there are no breakthroughs in terms of medications, in terms of mental health issues, really. Um, so, and um, it gets very confusing and difficult when you're thinking about the rights of the individual as opposed to in terms of uh, independence and being able to choose things and how good that judgment is and what's really going to happen with uh, people making those decisions for themselves. So it's really a, a terrible can of worms. And I think it scares us all. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we have problems that we can see solutions to and work towards, uh, wow, yeah, great, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. But if we don't have uh, solutions uh, that we can work for, uh, we're frustrated, when we get angry, we hide things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Meg, would you add anything to that? I would, I would agree. I think there's still a, a real stigma for people with any kind of a disability. And there's some fear out there still that people don't know how to approach someone or how to communicate with someone. And the message simply is just like you would anybody else. I mm-hmm. mean, it's, they're people. And when, you know, we describe what we're doing, we don't talk about patients or clients. We really say individuals and people because that's what we do. We are people that help people. Mm-hmm. And I think if people can approach it that way and, and kind of lose that fear and get to know um some of the people that we support and all of our programs are very embedded in the communities um, that we don't have signs up we don't put signs on our vehicles so people don't know that it's a Charlotte White Center home Um, it's just neighbors Uh living next door and I think you know the more we can do that and the more we can not label ourselves um, but just say it's just people who need a little extra support in their lives um, that I think we can get rid of some of those stigmas. We, we certainly, um, in the old days, <coughs> and I'm thinking 1800s, 1900s, folks that, who had developmental disabilities lived among us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we got institutionalized <laughs> somehow. We went, went that route because we thought that was the best level of care. Now we're swinging back, and we, but we still need that kind of education familiarity to bring those people home. Yes, I, I absolutely. Right. I think there's a fear that you know, people with disabilities are violent. Uh-huh. or aggressive, uh-huh. or are going to hurt me in some way. And certainly there are people out there with or without a disability that are aggressive. And, you know, it, it's called getting to know your neighbors and know who they are and, um, you know, taking precautions as necessary. But I don't think it's not a, you know, everybody with a disability is going to hurt me. It, you know, it's just not like that. And unfortunately, sometimes the media picks up those cases where somebody has a disability and commits an act of violence, and that kind of becomes the mindset of a lot of folks. So, so the, the solution to not knowing is to help people know. Absolutely. And I suppose that's part of what you've been talking about with people as you begin to attract attention and support for a group home. I'm not Desert Island. I'll just remind listeners, they're tuned to Talk of the Towns this morning. We're talking about when graduation is the saddest day a family and community responds to developmental disabilities. In the studio with us are Dee Karnofsky and Lee Haynes, who are parents of Norman, who is a um, teenager um, looking to um, begin um, 
a life beyond um, high school. And then we have Patty Ryan, who is helping them with that community campaign, community um, uh, initiative uh, for a group home on Mount Desert Island, and Meg Dexter of the Charlotte White Center in Dover Foxcroft. I'll invite your calls and questions um, from here on out. Give us a call, if you'd like, at one 866 625-9378. That's 1-866-625-9378 for your calls on Talk of the Towns this morning. Um, for um, Lee and Dee and, and Patty, um, tell us a little bit about, about what um, you aspire to in a group home <coughs> on Mount Desert Island. What, what are you looking for? Lee? Uh, we're looking for a home uh, building uh, to house oh, someplace between eight and ten residents. Um, it would be centrally located uh, so that uh, transportation issues weren't as great. Um, we'd, uh, there should be hopefully employment in the area. Uh, there should be the library, there should be the uh, YMCA, the YWCA, uh, the, sh the shopping areas. Uh, that's what we're looking for mm -hmm. and someplace that uh, can be hopefully uh, a place for uh, the residents to live the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. uh, anything to add to that Dee? Would you aspire to as well? I guess we're hoping that um, since it would be uh, in our community that we could enlist the help of you know the college and other people to maybe have internships or support the people because one thing about Norman in particular and I think it I think it's probably true broadly, is that he loves to do a lot of things, but he won't do them unless somebody's there suggesting them. Mm -hmm. And so he would hike, he would, you know, swim, but he won't do it. Right. So that, so, that, that home that Lee described, plus the support for yeah. each of the individuals to do what they want to do. To play volleyball. Right. <laughs> we do have a, a phone call. Um, if you'd like, go ahead and give us your first name and where you're calling from, and then go ahead with your question or comment, please. Yes, good morning. Hi. Uh, good morning. Um, my name is Diana Bisberg, and I live in Surrey. Um, I am a mom of a 14-year-old developmentally delayed young woman. Um, I actually heard about um, Dee and Lee's campaign last summer, I think, or end of summer, when they had a first meeting in Sargentville that I couldn't make. Um, but uh, my girl is transitioning into high school, which is difficult um, to find a good place, a good fit for her. And she's very similar to um, Norman's situation. Uh, a lot of social um, difficulties uh, because of the lag, um, and but um, in a lot of ways is um, independent, but is not gonna. I, I don't see her being completely independent. Going to continue to need reminders and helpers and, and lists. Exactly what you were talking about. Um, so I think that it's, uh, I'm great. I'm very grateful to hear that you're making inroads um, towards developing some kind of community center, a living arrangement. Um, my one question is that while um, I've been thinking about this for now, um, I did get a chance to visit um, a Camp Hill, one time Camp Hill um, uh, facility. It was in Pennsylvania, but I know they have them in everywhere. And I'm just kind of curious to see if anybody has investigated um, their organization, and if there's anything that they do that might be able to be adopted, um, and, or if you even know about the Camp Hill. Um, what were some of the qualities that you saw in that facility or in that program that you particularly admired? 
Um, well, they completely incorporate community into it. It's not um, th- that it's a living environment which brings in, like you said, interns from across the world. They um, usually have other kinds of programs there that are right on, on the, the campus, so to speak, which involves gardening and handcraft. I believe that it's an extension of Steiner's methods, um, and they have, um, you know, music halls. Um, every, every campus is a little different, of course, um, but, and it's for adults. Um, it, it meant it was established to uh, support adults who have developmental delays by making the community that is not exclusive to them. So the people who are there are assisting them, but they're not staff, so to speak. It's, a, it's about a community effort to live together, to recognize people's strengths, and to um, really just assist each other in general. Great. Well, thank you for your call. We'll get some comments from our guests this morning. Thank you. You can call as well if you'd like to participate in this conversation about uh, a family and a community response to developmental disabilities. Give us a call at 1-866-625-9378. Any responses to uh, Deanna's uh, question, Meg? Um, I actually had not heard of um, that um, company before, but I wrote down the name and I will be investigating it. it. Absolutely. So it's a great... Great thing to hear about different services in different parts of our country to see what other people are looking to do. So, But it certainly sounds as though the, the group home that you aspire to is incorporates many of those same things that yeah. Deanna was I've talking about. I've heard of Camp Hill. Uh-huh. I, I'm, I don't believe it's in Maine. Uh-huh. Um, and um, I believe it. Well, she said she went to Pennsylvania. <laughs> there may be costs. So let's talk a little bit about um, what, you, what you've done. You've aspired to a group home. What are the practical steps that you're using to kind of get us along the line? And, and I think each of you have something to contribute uh, to that. Start, start with Lee. What, what, have you, what are the practical steps you're taking? Um, we have been extraordinarily uh, lucky in that, uh, that the Charlotte White Center has been available to help us. Uh, we started from a position of total naivete, and we're probably still pretty close to it, but we've learned a lot. Uh, what we've gotten done in the, oh, pretty about nine or ten months since our first meeting with uh, parents um, is that we have um, obtained a 501c3, which means that we are a recognized nonprofit organization, uh, which is tremendously helpful in terms of uh, fundraising because it means that uh, contributions are tax deductible. Um, We have uh, developed a a board of trustees. We have governance uh, set up. Uh, We have and we are also now have uh, a banking uh, situation set up uh, so that we can move on to the uh, next step of our um, endeavor, uh, which is uh, fundraising to get a building, mm. uh, get the bricks and mortar. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have also uh, looked at several uh, buildings in Bar Harbor, and they've been looked at by the uh, Charlotte White Center people. And uh, as I say, Everything that we have accomplished has been with their help, and they've been timely and helpful and can't say enough good about what they've done. 
Great. Patty, what would you add? Um, how did you get attracted to this particular issue? You've known Dee and Lee um, a long time, but what said, I'm going to step up and work with them about this? Well, I think um, it, it, it was very personal. Um, watching Norman in a social setting is, is really a wonderful thing. He's charming and outgoing. Um, he's appropriate. Um, when you when you know Norman, you know there there he is. Um, here I enjoying, am. He said, right? Here I am. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I've also observed him at home when he's not working, and he's a young eighteen-year-old. He's lonely, and it's not it's not happy for anyone involved. It's frustrating for Dee and Lee. I think all of us as parents want our children to grow up and be strong, resilient, independent adults, and. Um, I think in listening to the diagnoses, um, the word pervasive really hit me, and I thought, mm. that is dismal. There has to be a solution um, that, that works for Norman, that works for all of us, because this is not just Norman's problem. Um, if Dee and Lee just said, you know, we're done with you, you're out, um, it, it would be much more apparent to the community what, what what we need to step up to the plate for here, because mm. not only is Norman capable of um, a productive life, he's capable of being happy. And when you see him happy, and you see him, you juxtapose a, juxtapose a sad Norman, it just, it feels like um, there's, a, there's something we can do here without much effort. And people are raising money for all kinds of things. It felt to me like, it, it's it's a big chunk of money. Real estate in Bar Harbor is not cheap. We all know that. Um, but I think it's um, it's something that really we can do as a community. As a community, Bar Harbor is much more blessed um, by by deeper pockets, I'd say, than than other communities in the state or the nation. And I, I think it's going to be very doable and we'll all feel good about doing it. Mm. Meg, uh, Meg Dexter, what would you add to that? Um, you're helping this group, but probably other groups um, with these kinds of issues. Sure. Um, first, I want to thank Lee for his kind words. Um, <laughs> uh, we simply have jumped on to a vision that Dee and Lee and Patty have, and it really meets the work that the Charlotte White Center strives to achieve. So it was a very easy uh, match and an easy fit for us as well. And um, But they're the workhorses, and they're the ones you know, really driving this boat. So um, we're pleased to be able to be a part of that. Um, and what was your question? <laughs> Sorry. Now I've got to go. <laughs> um, no, just um, you're helping other communities with this. Are there some parallels? What are some of the lessons you've learned about this kind yeah, of work? We, we, um, we're always looking to partner with other entities um, in all communities to try and um, meet the needs of the community. We have a uh, collaboration with Mayo Regional Hospital in Dover-Foxcroft where we have placed our clinicians into their um, environment in their building and, and so work collaboratively to provide counseling services to the greater Dover area. Uh, we're working with another parent group um, on another specified type home in the Bangor area. Um, and, you know, we're continually reaching out and um, either people reaching out to us or 
vice versa to try to I think part of the solution for the funding issues are to collaborate with other people that can provide part of what you're looking to do. So I think the more we do that, the better off we'll be and we'll, we'll be able to do a lot more for a lot more people. Great. I'll list our phone number one more time, uh, 1-866-625-9378. Our topic this morning is when graduation is the saddest day a family and community responds to developmental disabilities. Um, what's been the reaction so far, Dee and Lee and, and Patty? What, how have you been received as you've talked about your vision and begun to help people think about what could they do to help with this with this vision? Patty? Well, I think the... Um, um, people have been surprised, I think, initially. The people I've talked to have said, that, you mean there's nothing? Mm-hmm. We don't have that already? Right. Which I think is a very positive thing because it, it, I feel like people are ready to, to, to start solving that problem, to, to, make, to take it on. Um, and I think it's, you know, just looking at how collaborative the bank was and working to set up in a, in a timely manner a, um, a bank account that we can accept donations um it's 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 been an exciting start mm. so i feel i'm feeling really very positive about this and uh, lee you talked about your first meeting with other parents i guess that was um roughly a year ago um how have other parents been kind of connected with this vision i think that um everyone is interested everyone's excited everybody's scared mm. um it represents um a big change from to plan to have your child leave. Um, that's scary. Mm-hmm. Um, the finances are another area that can get scary. Mm-hmm. And so uh, people are excited but cautious and worried. Right. I think one, uh, one thing I'd like to uh, bring up about the caller, um, a 14-year-old uh, in this area, what we... The plan that we have set up is different from just about all other plans around. It looks as if it is financially feasible, and if it is financially feasible and everything works out well, then uh, it could be done not only in our community, but in other communities to help the people who are going to be coming up like four years four years later. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody would be talking about placing a 14-year-old in a group home, right. uh, even in their own community. Uh, so that's uh, something I think the people are uh, very excited about, and um, and I think I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Uh, Dee, would you add anything to that in terms of your um, what, what how other parents um, of uh, young people with developmental disabilities how they've reacted and, and responded to your vision? Well, I think the hard thing is is there's such a broad range of disabilities, mm-hmm. and because of Norman, and that's what we need, we're interested in um, having a group home with people like Norman or that have, a, have disabilities that wouldn't keep them from coming and going as they please or using public transportation, having a job or a plan each day, where, and um, having a home where staffing is minimal. And um, we know people who have greater needs than that and so we kind of struggle with how uh, how group homes can be fashioned for everybody mm-hmm. that needs them um, in groups of how of what they need. 
So have you encountered um, others who have similar disabilities to Norman so that you know that there's a kind of a critical mass t to make this? You said, Lee, that it w might work out financially. Uh, kind of, uh, have you encountered people who are saying, oh, that really seems to fit for me or my child? I think we have. I don't think we've had enough public exposure to know hmm. how many people are really out there. Our sense of it is that every time we talk to somebody, they know either about their own family or a family they know that is in the fix of uh, aging uh, child with very aging parents. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, maybe not a child. Norman is 18. Maybe a child of 30. Maybe a child of 40 uh, with right. parents appropriately old. Yes. Um, but they tend to be sort of silent and hidden until you get the word out, and that's. One of the reasons we're here, <laughs> right? Uh, no, is for people yes. to know that we are working on this. Yeah. Um, we're, we welcome calls and uh, interaction with anybody. We'll talk to anybody. Uh, phone number at home. I can give you <laughs> give you email addresses. The whole thing. Maybe we can do that later on. We will. We will. Yeah. And I'll just remind listeners that they can call and ask their questions now at one eight six six. 625-9378 here on Talk of the Towns on WERU as we talk about when graduation is the saddest day, a family and community response to developmental disabilities. We have a caller on the line now. If you'd give us your name and where you're calling from and then go ahead with your question or comment. Good morning. This is Yo in Tremont. I want to protest the repeated use of the word disability because it is often seen that people with neurological challenges have abilities that neurotypicals can't even fathom. Mm. And I think a word that has been coined by the on-the-spectrum community is diff-ability with an F uh -huh. to recognize yeah. the fact that these people, as challenged as they may seem in our world, they perceive things in a different world, which, frankly, is where we're all headed. And I think that there will come a day when neurotypicals would wish that they had these diff abilities. Thank you so much for putting on this show. Well, thank you for your call and for um, your, your interest. I have, to, I have to respond to that because it brings such a smile to my face. Thank you so much for the call. Um, it, it just um, brings to my mind um, so many stories, so many Norman stories. Um, <laughs> you want to share one? <laughs> well, just, I mean, and I also love the um, neurotypical. I, I just, um, <laughs> thank you, yo. Um, we were camping um, over Fourth of July weekend, um, my husband and I and, and Dee and Leah Norman, and um, I, Norman was uh, talking about fixing something that he'd, he'd fixed at home, and I didn't even know what it was. It's a new, you know, some electronic thing. It's a, it's a universal remote. It's a thing you push buttons on, and it controls everything in your house. And <laughs> uh -oh. So um, it had somehow lost its memory, and Norman was telling me he had, he had reprogrammed it, and then Lee continued the story. He said, yeah, it was something we bought something like two years ago, and it has a complex code that connects it to everything in the house, and it's a series of numbers, and it's very long, like 20 numbers, something like that. And um, at the time that Norman was fixing it, Lee was spending his time looking for the manual so he could find the number that was written down that he had to punch in, and Norman said, well, I'm fixing it, Dad. And Lee said, well, you know, it's, it's got this long number. Don't worry. 
I remember. And he did. It mm. was two years later. And there, mm-hmm. that's just one of a number of stories where there's a, a complex sequence or number or series um, that he knows cold and remembers for years. It, it just uh, nowhere near my n- somewhat neurotypical brain. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I, I can, if I can tell one of those, too. Um, we went to Western uh, uh, Vermont at one point. Uh, to see a uh, a music show. Actually, it was Eliza who we were talking about earlier. Eliza. And Eliza. Eliza Gilkison. Yes, thank you. Um, and we were at a campground, and it was back roads, you know, uh, drive along, got to uh, the place where she was performing. Actually, Arlo Guthrie's uh, uh, church that he bought for in the Alice's restaurant after Alice's restaurant. Headed back. Storm was coming up darker outside than inside your stomach. I mean, I just couldn't see anything. Starting to rain, no, you know, not even any paint stripes on the road, no directions, no names. We're going along, and Norman suddenly says, uh, you've gone too far. And I said, we're supposed to turn back there? Uh Uh-huh. Now, we had never talked anything about paying attention to how we get there, and we didn't have a GPS unit at that time, but I trusted Norman, so I went back and took the left that he said to take, and then bang, we're at the campground. And if it hadn't been for that, we'd be driving around back there yet. <laughs> <laughs> Just, uh, yeah, there is something very different about his brain that mm. uh, comes out in wonderful ways. Mm. So different abilities. Different abilities, right. absolutely. Great. one 625 9378 if you've got questions or comments as we talk about when graduation is the saddest day. In the studio with us are Dee Karnofsky and Lee Haynes, who are parents of a child or a teenager with different abilities, and Patty Ryan, who is helping them in a, in a long-term project to establish a group home on Mount Desert Island, and Meg Dexter of the Charlotte White Center in Dover Foscroft. Um, so you've, you've begun to look for um, space. You've kind of organized yourselves as a, as a nonprofit organization. Um, you mentioned that you thought it would, could work out financially. And Meg, you're probably helping with those thinking, that, that thinking about how the mix of resources would come together to make this possible. Uh, anything, anything to share at that point? So I, I assume that um, there might be some state resources, some parent resources, some community resources, all of which would have to come together to, to make this happen. Yeah, correct. We had looked at a model that's um, part of specialized housing that they run in Portland, Maine, called E Street, um, as a kind of a, an example of how we might be able to do this. Um, we've talked about a variety of um, setups for this this home, from a co-op setup to you know right to a regular group home. And I don't, you know, I think we're still batting those ish- those kind of ideas around. Um, I think it'll depend on um, you know the home that we end up purchasing. I think it depends on the mix of the individuals that end up um, wanting to be part of this this home. Um, and then um, just going from there on the resource end to see, you know, we might have a mix of private and state or federal funding as mm-hmm. well. So I think we're open to anything and we'll keep our ears and eyes open to, to you know, to other alternatives that might be coming 
coming our way. You've, you've said that you have staff in a number of different kinds of settings. Well, what kinds of folks do you look for in terms of, of the, the, the qualities of being a, sure. a staff person or, as, as you er, said earlier, kind of a house mother in this particular case? Uh, well, folks that work in, an, in a residential setting are real autonomous and they're very independent. We don't have a model where we have supervision right in the site. It's, a, you know, there's somebody who's responsible for several homes. So we really are looking for people that um, have some common sense, can make some good decisions, uh, know when to call for help when they need it, um, but really more importantly come from the mindset that I'm here to support someone, not to take care of someone. Huh. Um, because it's really not about doing for other people, it's for helping them realize their own lives, their own dreams, and their own wishes, um, and however that may manifest itself for themselves. And I think so we try to in the hiring process, try to figure out where those personality traits come through um, because it really isn't taking care of people. It's kind of being there as that support and that safety net when they need it. Right, and it sounds like that was the environment that was set up in the school system um, for Norman to kind of head that kind of support, and you want to continue that into the community. We have another phone call. Go ahead and give us your first name and the town you're calling from, and then go ahead with your question or comment, please. Yeah, hi. This is Frank Donnelly living in Le Moyne, and the parent of a, of a schizophrenic son for the last 20 years, uh, and going back to what Lee said earlier, I can relate to the, the funding and the budget cuts and all this kind of stuff for, to help people. And I'm also going to inject, and I hope I'm not stepping on anybody's toes, I don't think I am, some politics into the t- situation. If as a country and as a people, if we didn't spend our money going around the world bombing other children, there's a lots of with party disabilities. We'd have more money in this country to fund all these things. Um, uh, excuse me for maybe throwing that into the mix, but that's just the way I feel. And having us uh, dealing with mental issues for the last 20 years with my son, I know the funding constraints and the in and outs of the situation in the system. So that, and I really appreciate this program. And I've seen Norman around at a few events, and he's a, a lovely, young, bright man. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks so much, Frank, for, for your call. one 625 9378 if you have um, a, a very brief comment. We're going to b- begin wrapping up in a, in a few minutes. Um, this notion of priorities at, at the community level, at the national level, I guess, is something that, that Frank has contributed. Um, when you um, kind of go out and, and appeal to people to think about this the vision that you've had, it's about priorities. You're asking them to, to consider some different priorities. How has that been as you've asked people to think about this issue, Patty? Um, well, you know, we don't, we don't like to look at the negative side of things, but I think that often helps us organize priorities. If we look at the expense of these children, these um, young adults, unsupported in the community, it can be grievous. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're very vulnerable, uh, vulnerable to predators, vulnerable to getting in trouble themselves. Um, the number of people um, with diff abilities in in solitary confinement in the state of Maine um, is staggering. It's it's a major percentage. The number of people in solitary confinement in the state of Maine is greater than the number in the whole country of England. So, you know, we need to look at the expense to the society of not looking at this problem. As negative as that sounds, I think financially that's a a strong argument. And otherwise, I think uh, we have a a strong moral argument to Mm. address this issue. It's simply um, 
good for all of us. Mm -hmm. What would you add as we begin to wrap up, and then I'll ask you to list some contact information. Um, each of you, what what are you, your hopes um, long-term? Uh, Dee and Lee, you hope for a group home for a young man who will probably live beyond you. And um, that, that's, that's the whole idea. That we're looking at the long term. <laughs> They're I'd speechless. Just, I'd like to see him happy living in a home with other people that he can be friends with or family with. Right. And, um, and that we can be a support to that home as long as we're able. And um, that it's just part of the community. And that as that gets up and running, that other people find other solutions, you know, other local solutions for people with problems like a mentally ill son. Yes, yes. And that so that nobody has to worry what will happen to their children when they're not there. Mm-hmm. And Something nobody, we all aspire to. Yes. <laughs> yeah. right. And that nobody will feel socially isolated. Right. Patty, what, what's your hope um, as we uh, think about this in the long term? <laughs> well, I'd like just to, to echo Dee, I'd like to, to be able to um, think that Norman and um, people like Norman who don't slide easily into what society offers um, will, will be able to um, live on beyond us in a productive way. Um, and I, I think the more we focus on it locally, the more we create a model for a broader sense of priorities. Our last caller addressed that, and I think if we, if we make that a really strong, shining example, it'll be contagious. Mm. I'd like to see that. Meg, Meg Dexter, what is your hope? Um, you know, I echo what they both um, just said. I think from a broader perspective, um, we would love to be a part of this project, but we'd also like it to be a model for other um, areas in the state because I think this is a huge need to come up with alternatives on how we can make sure that people realize the lives that they want to have and be as independent as possible. And Lee, your hope briefly and then contact information. How would people get in touch? Uh, I want Norman to be happy. I want Norman not to be lonely. Mm -hmm. uh, contact, uh, home phone, 288-4365. Happy to talk any, talk it over with anybody. Uh, email, O-L-H at midmain.com, uh, a way to uh, be in touch. If anyone wishes to uh, make a contribution, tax-exempt contribution, it can go to uh, Bar Harbor Banking and Trust, Post Office Box 400, uh, Bar Harbor, Maine, 04609. Thank you, Lee. We've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday mornings of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balmain House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guests in the studio representing Local Solutions, an organization creating a group home for the developmentally dif disabled? No, not dis developmentally 
Dif differently abled. Yes, I'll get it out. Thank you. Uh, Dee Karnofsky and Lee Haynes, the parents of Norman, Patty Ryan, who's helping them, and Meg Dexter of the Charlotte White Center. Thanks to our underwriters, uh, community, uh, Maine Community Foundation, who actually helped suggest this program. Thanks to Amy Brown and Joel Mann for engineering our program this morning. And stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. Are you come from the Wetlands Jam featuring Tab Benoit, Michael Doucet of